BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome back, everybody. Or if you're a first timer, welcome aboard. You're listening to the Bauer and Rose Show, the Bauer and Rose podcast, right here at justthenews.com, Sirius XM, the Patriot Channel 125. Wherever you get your podcasts, make sure and hit the subscribe button. Give us a, a five star rating. Uh, Bauer, you look great. Bauer looks like he's preening in front of a mirror. Um, Wait a minute, this isn't a mirror? <laughs> It is not. It is not a mirror. Um, I was thinking, what am I doing wearing one of those hats? <laughs> oh, wait a minute. That's you. <laughs> no, no, no. You're not nearly as good looking as I am. You might be smarter. But um, a lot to talk about this this pre-Christmas week. There hasn't been a great deal of discussion. We'll get into it. Um, Saturday was the 250th anniversary of the Boston Tea Party. Yeah. Virtually no discussion whatsoever. And you oh, juxtapose that against news today, this being a Monday, that BP, one of the largest oil companies on the planet, uh, has announced it's no longer going to be using the Red Sea. So the United States of America, which began with this heroic uh, effort to resist distant, semi-dictatorial authoritarian regime... Uh, government with which they had no effective representation over the course of the next quarter millennium became the greatest power, the most noble power the world has ever known or seen. And today uh, we see that American inaction is starting to have real consequence. The price of crude oil is now going to shoot up. Shipping costs are going to rise. And it's all because the Biden administration delisted an Iranian-backed terror group that now controls, for all intents and purposes, a critical international waterway. Yeah, you know, Tom, the uh, one of the big globalist arguments that have been made, that's been made in recent years, is that yeah, you know, the average American may not understand the intricacies how of how the world works and how uh, the order that we maintain as the world's superpower is so essential to the lives we all live here. And and one of the big examples of this was that there are seven or eight places in the world where international uh, sea traffic has to move through dangerous waters. And we secure those places so that uh, people can be assured that the, the, you know, the refrigerator that they buy from communist China will last the full four months of the warranty. Uh, and when, you know, and if we're not securing those seaways, who knows what would happen? Well, we're going to find out what happened. Uh, we relinquish it to a ninth century barbarian terrorist group. There have been over 100 attacks on U.S. forces since the 10-7 massacre by Iranian proxies, be they Hezbollah, be they the Houthis, be they the Anshar militias, uh, 
uh, Iranian-backed militias in Iraq, over 100 attacks. We do nothing. And then the White House compounds this debacle from the In Case You Were Wondering file. The White House issued a statement over the weekend that it, that uh, if North Korea attacks the United States with nuclear weapons, that would be unacceptable. I kid you not. Here's the statement. Any nuclear attack by North Korea against the United States or its allies is totally unacceptable and would end the Kim regime, which suggests we wouldn't turn the country into a parking lot. We might impose more sanctions if they nuke Seattle. But see, this that statement was probably written, Tom, intentionally to not appear to be a statement written by Donald Trump, because Donald Trump, and maybe this is what you were alluding to, Donald Trump famously said, uh, they shoot nuclear weapons at us, uh, the entire country of North Korea is going to glow. Uh, and and then we didn't see the leader of North Korea for six or seven months. He was probably in an under, underground cave somewhere that had been built for him uh, by Iranian proxies. Uh, by the way, Houthis? It sounds like something out of a Dr. Seuss book. I mean, we have Houthis now pushing us around. I, I want to go back to the Boston Tea Party because the Boston Tea Party, I doubt, Tom, that I doubt if one American young person out of 50 knows what the Hades we're talking about. The, the, the Boston Tea Party is a totally politically incorrect event. It, it is a bunch of uh, radicals. I think the the uh, if there was an organizing group, it was uh, the Sons of Liberty. Sons Sam, of Liberty. Right, Sam Adams. And, Sons and of that Liberty. sounds like exactly like the name of a group that the Pentagon has has warned soldiers don't go to websites that have Patriot Liberty. Don't tread on me because those are radical websites that are associated with extremism. Not to so mention the fact that they were dressed up as. Indians. Yeah, see, that was going to be my next. Okay, thing. sorry, I ruined it. They they went in red face, and there was actually an article in the Washington Post, uh, I think Friday or Saturday, in which a, an, author, an author wrote and said, uh, uh, "Look, the fact of the matter is that in, in an America that is increasingly made up of uh, people of color, uh, stories like the Boston Tea Party do not resonate." They, they are not things we can identify with. In fact, quite the opposite. They repel us. They, they trouble us. The, uh, the fact that the Tea Party radicals uh, went in red face appropriating uh, the, the Native Americans' culture for their breaking of the law and destruction of private property was, the author said, a precursor to the minstrel blackface appropriations that would take place years later. I mean, Tom, we are living in the midst of suicidal insanity. Now I'm done. Oh, I I was just going to say the Sons of Liberty organized by Sam Adams. And today we might have problems with some of their tax, with some of their tactics. They, um, it was very difficult for the British to collect the customs duty that they imposed without any representation when we uh, chased all of the tax collectors out of town, we burned down their homes, we tarred and feathered them. It was an unpleasant era, but uh, 92,000 pounds of black powdered uh, tea thrown into the Boston Harbor, turning it black. By the way, 
It's 250 years later, and the tea is still at the bottom of Boston, Boston Harbor. It took three hours. It was over. It might not have been the precipitating attempt, a precipitating event of the American Revolution, but it was certainly, absolutely, absolutely. And what's, what's interesting, the, where I was going to go here vis-a-vis the Houthis and the Red Sea, what happened in response? Well, the British, they passed the infamous uh, Coercive Act on the same day that they canceled the uh, duty on tea. So, in other words, when they saw uh, colonial strength, and by the way, that was the point at which the First Continental Congress was convened, the British missed any opportunity and every opportunity to deal wisely uh, with the colonists. There was... uh, I think it was David McCullough in his John Adams biography said, or quoted Adams saying that uh, Providence had bestowed upon America the wisest generation of leaders at the same time that it bestowed upon the English the dumbest uh, uh, collection of leaders who did everything possible to uh, uh, promote the dissolution of the empire by these insulting tactics. Britain was not... Uh, Russia or China. Britain was, even in those days, Britain was the most enlightened country in the world. And Americans, until these coercive acts, the Townsend Acts, the Stamp Act, all these repressive uh, uh, financial measures, uh, colonists were proud to be uh, called British. They, uh, John Adams, you know, his famous line going to the First Continental Congress was, we uh, uh, are convening this Congress to reassert our rights as natural-born Englishmen. Of course, the uh, response, the British response was, was sharp, but they got the message, and they got the message of strength and commitment and resolution. Um, those people, those patriots, the Sons of Liberty 250 years ago, with no army, no navy, no power to speak of, stood up to the strongest, greatest, most powerful empire the world has ever known, And 250 years later, we're the strongest, most powerful empire the world has seen, and we can't stand up to a bunch of 9th century barbarians that are 700 miles from Israel lobbing weapons and uh, 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 missiles at shipping in the Red Sea, closing it down. And we refuse to attack the Houthis. Well, quit quit (laughs) emphasizing this, you know, that our opponents are 9th century Barbarians, we're doing our best to to meet them halfway <laughs> between where we are in the ninth century, as Senate aides decide that sodomizing each other in one of the great Senate hearing rooms, where confirmations of Supreme Court justices take place, is a really good idea. And when they get in trouble for doing so, they claim they're being discriminated against because of who they love. Right. <laughs> Anyway, uh, back to the Boston Tea Party, Tom. Look, the the Wall Street Journal of the era, if they were around at the time, may have very well written an editorial saying this is counterproductive. This will do nothing but uh, split the colonies. Uh, In in addition to that, it's a violation of private property rights, a destruction of property. What in the world kind of country would we be if we were going to become a country? All those arguments were made at the First Continental Congress. John Dickinson from uh, Pennsylvania, who who was the strongest defender of of, uh, the British Empire, made those arguments, made them very passionately. 
there's nothing wrong with argument. The issue is how they're resolved and the dichotomy between this struggling, fledgling outpost of the British Empire and the flailing, uh, uh, the flailing apparatus of what's left of the American. I just I read this story today. BP, the British Petroleum, is now joining the exodus of all commercial shipping from the Red Sea. So this okay band of. Well, I'm going to say it again. Ninth century barbarians from the southern tip of the Arabian Peninsula have now pushed the greatest military power on Earth out of a critical international shipping lane. Well, Tom, it's just look, remember when I said that the um, the best way we were talking about Ukraine and, uh, you know, the argument is often made. It would be a terrible signal to China and others if we went all wobbly in Ukraine. So we need to stay there in order to send a message to communist China. And the response by me and others was, if you want to send a message to communist China, get tough with communist China. That's the most effective way to have the message. Nonetheless, the broader point is true that if you can't stand up to the Houthis, uh, who, um, as I said, sound like a Dr. Seuss uh, child's group or something, um, that it, I mean, are, are, are our commitments worth anything to anybody? And this all corresponds, by the way, with an um, a, a article today, I think it was on Breitbart, about how uh, the European powers are are in their own way collapsing as military powers. The, the British army is at the lowest level that it has been in in 200 years. And 200 years ago, Britain was a nation of 20 million people, and now they're a nation of 80 million people, and they have less men under arms than they had then. And they didn't do very well. 200 years ago. Uh, Poland is the strongest army on the European continent, except for Turkey. Poland. Yeah. Poland could so beat the Poland crap out of Germany today. England, exactly. Whose side are we going to be on? I say Poland. <laughs> At this point, although they had an election a couple of weeks ago where um, the famous yeah, EU bureaucrat Donald yeah, Tusk won yeah, again. Um, so uh, I think Germany, you know, is they're, they're in the same position. They're, a number of these uh, nations are talking about uh, starting up a draft again, and a number of defense ministers in um, both Europe uh, and commenting on their own countries and then also commenting on America said, you know, one of the problems we have is that a lot of people in the European countries no longer actually identify with the West, so they're not volunteering for the military. And our, our, our Atlantic uh, ally on the other side of the, of the lake, the United States, an increasing percentage of their population uh, doesn't identify with the European or the Atlantic alliance. So there are powerful forces here uh, or a lack of interest here, depending on which group you're talking about, uh, to do anything about it. Tom, but the whole thing is a prescription uh, for for just total societal decline and and destruction, and it's coupled at the same time uh, w- with our with our um, flight from 
the Judeo-Christian underpinnings of our own country. I, I was commenting the other day in one of the commentaries I, I do. The, so the Biden White House uh, had a horny rabbit at Easter time that was twerking on the lawn of the White House in front of little children. That followed, I'm serious, you can find the video. He was walking around behind people and then doing the twerk behind them. Wait a minute, not a, a, I mean, not a real rabbit, a a costumed human in a rabbit uniform. Yeah, probably Hunter. Um, Although he wouldn't need a uniform. He he, he wouldn't need a costume. Right. He he films himself uh, au naturel. They had the gay gay pride event at the White House in which trans women uh, danced on the lawn of the White House topless. That was followed by um, the Thanksgiving proclamation where Joe got a little mixed up and thanked everybody but God for our blessings. <laughs> and then now we're in the Christmas season and they hire a dance troupe uh, that did bizarre dances in a White House video that was released. And you and I went on the website and checked them out. They're a neo-Marxist group that believes in defunding uh, the police, uh, BLM. Uh, I mean, just totally over the top radicals. And then to put a, a, a rotten uh, cherry on, on top of this uh, pound cake or this fruit cake, uh, the, um, the, at the other end of Pennsylvania Avenue, you have the defilement of, of the House Judiciary or the Senate Judiciary hearing room, which Fox, by the way, waited more than 24 hours to report. And I won't, I don't even want to go into why that would be the case, although we've alluded to it before when we've been talking about Fox. And, I, and one of the things that came to mind, Tom, because was, it was gay, if it was straight, it would have been an instant smash mouth uh, debacle for these people. But since it was gay sex, they're protected. I'm well, Tom, I'm, I'm surprised the guy didn't get a promoted straight, that. That term is outdated. I, I mean, I don't even know. Where, where Are you from the ninth century? <laughs> Do you not know straight people are now called cisgender? I um, did NBC. not. I, okay. I, I'd heard the term, but I didn't know what yeah, the heck it meant. That's what it is. Cisgender means Normal. normies. <laughs> the, <laughs> NBC on their website did a little story about the fact that the four young ladies who had their athletic futures stolen from them in a, a Connecticut high school by men who competed against them in their junior and senior years. They lost scholarships and everything else. A judge now four years later has given them standing to come into court and sue for the benefits they were denied. NBC's headline is, or description of the story is, four just disshet cisgendered individuals no four cisgendered former high school students have now have a right to sue for benefits they claim they were denied because people were allowed to participate in sports that corresponded with their genders it just goes to prove that that common values and universal values are neither they're right. not all that common, and they're very far from universal. Yeah. 
what, by the way, I, I know we're mixing a lot of things in here, but when I saw this story out of the Senate Judiciary Committee meeting. What, what is the story? I, I'll be honest. Know? Do you not know? Well, I'm unfortunately, I've been busy the past couple of days and I read the New York Times. So, of course, I'm not going to get uh, uh, that depth of no, detail. No, I I'm not mocking you. I'm, I'm only asking because. I know vaguely I know there was a Senate. There was a Senate staffing scandal regarding um, non-cisgendered. Uh, intimate activity. Yeah, the the in the Senate uh, Judiciary Committee hearing room. In the hearing room. In the hearing room. Okay. A aide to uh, Senator um, Card. I mean, see, yeah, Senator Cardin, I believe, of Maryland. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know why I asked you to describe it. But go ahead. Sodomized uh, another man. That's nice. At the at the place where I believe Senator Klobuchar normally sits, and uh, Harden goes to the Senate floor and says, uh, "Look, this is personnel matter," and uh, he's been relieved of his position, which I thought was a poor choice of words because his position. <laughs> all right, all right, okay. But at any rate, um, so. Now, I'm not worried about this guy getting employment because Bud Light probably offers him a spokesman position. He can put it on his resume for crying out loud. Right, right. There you go. Uh, but, but you know, there's a guy that went into Pelosi's office and put his feet up on her desk, and he's serving four to five years in federal penitentiary. He just should have gone on her desk and performed a protected sex act and said he was just bringing San Francisco right to the Congresswoman's office. Oh, so <laughs> how did we find out about this? There was a, there was a video closed circuit. Yeah. Uh, now they, they believed that somebody videoed it, videoed it and then that it was intentionally videoed uh, in, in order to, I, I actually think that the, the choice of the Senate, um, judiciary room was not uh, of convenience or accidental, that this was a message of what these two gentlemen uh, think about our Supreme Court and the people that have been put on the Supreme Court. Anyway, my advice to Senator Klobuchar is to do uh, early COVID level disinfecting when she returns to the Senate Judiciary Committee hearing room. Remember how we used to take our, our canned goods during early COVID, have them delivered in bags into our driveway. Then we would take them out wearing gloves, and then we would spray them down and wipe them off. She should at least do that before she sits down at her seat in the Senate. In fact, I would recommend, since we, you know, we're not adversaries with, with Communist China, we're merely... Uh, competitors, competitors that we get those guys in communist China that we saw a lot in those white suits that would walk into businesses with these tanks on their backs and spray everybody <laughs> with the smoke that that's what we need to see coming out of the Senate Judiciary Committee. Now that the brave new world that used to be called one nation under God has been in, displayed in all its glory in the Senate Judiciary Chamber. You know, I, I'm not completely oblivious to the world in which I live. I'm reasonably well-informed. I think I saw maybe one, two or three line blurb about this. And it wasn't, 
I mean, I go to Fox News, I go to Front Page Mag, I go to National Review. I mean, I, I heavily visit conservative websites, and this story uh, basically was buried before it saw the light of day. Yeah, no, it's. Um, I, I mean, you're you're right. If uh, any <laughs> any miss uh, uh, inappropriate activity by normal heterosexual people, you know, um, men lusting after women, uh, that that would be just be dis- described as well, you know, the perfect example of what's wrong with America or whatever. Uh, I, I, Tom, we're seriously we're in deep deep waters here. There's Um, nothing progressive about this. It's totally regressive. Ancient civilizations and cultures were redolent with this kind of behavior. It was um, licensed, if not openly endorsed. I mean, cultures and civilizations that cannot channel uh, sexuality toward, toward productive, limited ends Doomed. I mean, you cannot win a war of civilizational confidence with a population of people who know either nothing about your civilization and or have no confidence. And if you want to look for a public culture that reeks of this indestructible faith in their own self-righteousness, I would have said 10 years ago, go to Europe. But today you don't have to go to Europe. Just go to any Democrat run big city in the country. Right. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And by the way, Tom, this this stuff that we're talking about, um, it's bad enough that it's here. America is a very influential country in the world, and we exported for decades and decades our concepts of self-government and the nature of liberty, how it had to be tempered by virtue, et cetera. We penalized countries that denied their nations uh, basic human rights and all the rest of that. We're now pushing this mad embrace of LGBTQ ideology on the entire developing world or underdeveloped world. And they're rejecting it. it, Full-faced rejecting it. They don't want it anywhere near their societies. And we are punishing them for not embracing same-sex marriage, teaching this stuff in their schools, et cetera. We told... um, uh, the government of it wasn't Nigeria, I believe it. Um, uh, Maybe it was Uganda. You're talking about I think the, it was Uganda. Yeah, yeah. We mm-hmm. told the government of Uganda that uh, until uh, they decriminalize LGBTQ activity in their country, we will not uh, send visas or provide visas to any members of their government or their legislature. And the head of uh, Uganda said. Uh, you know, we we regret this decision by the United States. We love the United States. It's a beautiful country. But, you know, there are other beautiful places uh, our legislature can visit, places like uh, Shanghai and Beijing. Well, at least he knew what card to play, although I don't know whether that will particularly bother <laughs> the Biden White House. Now, there's there. Walter Russell Mead just wrote a great book. Um I can't remember the title of it. It was um, uh, about the the ever-shifting human rights demands of the American government, that our allies are whipsawed because our standards constantly change. 
First, it's democracy, rule of law, protection of private property, individual liberty, um, uh, freedom of association. Today, it's same-sex marriage, sodomy, um, abortion on demand. That's the other uh, issue oh, that, 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 they're, that, that they're pushing very hard. So his argument was that as our putative allies and our prospective friends and partners who want to develop closer relations with us are constantly blindsided by the changing goalposts, or I might add disintegrating goalposts, of what our values and standards are. They can't keep them straight because every 10 minutes they change. Uh, well, Tom, you know, I mean, we there are some sins that we tell these countries they must avoid, like burning fossil fuel. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, doing all this other stuff is a sign of enlightenment. enlightenment. But, uh, you know, fueling your factories with uh, coal or natural gas or oil or whatever. Now, that is beyond the pale. Uh, Tom, I, I mean, as we've said over and over again, and you, I, I don't, it's almost impossible at this point to even, even conduct a cogent discussion of it in America because we've drifted so, way of, uh, so far away from it. But our, you know, all of our founders said in one way or the other, what we're setting up here only works with a virtuous people. It is impossible to imagine this uh, experiment in self-government and uh, in liberty, unless the people are restrained uh, by a, a strong and vibrant moral code that uh, prevents them from doing destructive things to each other, to their neighbors, and to the society. If they are, if the populace does not embrace those those things about virtue, uh, the whole thing falls apart, and that is what we're witnessing. We are witnessing it all falling apart. Well, now that we've notified the North Koreans that if they nuke us, they're going to be in big, big trouble. I wanted to ask you about the outrage that emerged from photos of surrendered Hamas terrorists. These images of these uh, terrorists who were uh, stripped to their underwear and handcuffed, um, these are the same people that, that glorified in the assaults of October 7th, now reduced to the status of, of uh, surrendered captives. The, their bravado was gone. These images are hardly new. Surrendering Japanese soldiers uh, were stripped completely naked by uh, American GIs, not to humiliate or disgrace them, but because these people were so committed to their fanatical uh, I don't know what the Japanese term for jihadist, but these were Japanese jihadists whose purpose and goal in life was to kill Americans, that this was the only common sense thing to do. Uh, when you capture or uh, take into custody people who will keep trying to kill you even after they're arrested, stripping prisoners, ensuring that they're still not armed or wearing booby-trapped explosives or suicide vests is common sense. So why was the woke world so abhorrent uh, to these images? I, it's, when prisoners go into a U.S. prison, they're stripped in order to make sure they're not bringing contraband in with them. And then they undergo a very pleasant thing called a cavity <laughs> search. And I'm not talking about teeth here. Right. Uh, I mean, this, of course, because 
But w- but why the reaction? It was this global. Uh, it was a tempest in a teapot. But uh, the BBC they, they more, and right. Go ahead. The, the lefties were more concerned about the pictures of scantily clad but bodies intact jihadists than they were upset about the raped bodies and of Mutilated. girls, grandmothers, etc. On October seventh in Israel. <laughs> who would be angry or angered about uh, somebody shattering the pride of a terrorist? If you're angered by those images, then maybe you're the one with the problem. Maybe you're the one that doesn't have a moral compass. Maybe you're the one that uh, is the threat to democracy. I mean, this is, um, I, I was stunned, actually. And of course, the worst of all is the BBC. Uh, they're absolutely insufferable but particularly uh, the british press the european press they had a they went after this for days the humiliation of surrendered hamas fighters of course they're never called terrorists yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, well i mean look the, all these newspapers i mean across you know even i mean did the how did the israeli papers handle it because some of the stuff i've seen i i, I think a lot of the israeli papers have gone off the deep end but they they seem no there's only one and of course that's the one that's quoted in all the american papers because it fits their narrative that's haaretz which is the makes the new, new york, york may, really makes the new york times, times look like a national review right they're not owned by the new york times no 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 as well no. be it would be redundant <laughs> <laughs> no that's true i want to hit one other topic and of course it's christmas so we'll we'll get into that in a bit but um the Democrats and the media, again, now I'm being redundant, uh, love and apparently will live and die by the threat to democracy narrative. But it's interesting, that narrative, of course, they want to use to describe anybody that opposes them. So anyone that opposes the Democrat Party is a threat to democracy. But then we got the case of this uh, congressman that you and I had never heard of before. Maybe you had. I hadn't. Dean Phillips, who announced an ultra long shot campaign for the Democrat nomination because he's looking at all these polls and thinks the Democrats are going to lose. So Democrat Party hacks the establishment is absolutely livid that somebody inside the Democrat Party might actually challenge the Democrat party with, well, you know, democracy. The whole premise of the Democrat Party today is that no one is allowed to run against their chosen candidate. No one's allowed to challenge their chosen candidate. And this is the vehicle that our media and establishment says is all that stands between us and Donald Adolf Hitler Trump. Yeah, well, Tom, I, you know, what's uh, the left is doing exactly what you would expect them to do. They are they are an authoritarian left now. And just like uh, other authoritarian movements that accuse their opponents of being a threat to liberty so that they could use that as an excuse to, you know, to grab more power themselves. That, that's what they're doing. What what drives me crazy is the number of Republicans that are willing to adopt this narrative by the left. So you've got the Mitt Romneys of the world and the Chris Christie's, uh, you know, in, in repeating this this uh, narrative that uh, you know that Donald Trump and the MAGA is a is a threat to our democracy. Donald Trump was president for four years. What did he do during those four years? Well, one of the big things he did 
was put nominees on, put justices on the Supreme Court that saved the First Amendment, that guarantees us the freedom of religion, the freedom of speech, and the freedom of assembly. Three of the essential freedoms that a constitutional republic must have to be worth its salt. Second of all, did Donald Trump use the intelligence agencies of the United States, the federal law enforcement agencies of the United States to get his Democrat opponents? No, that's what they did to try to stop his election. And it's what they're doing now to try to take out the number one likely opponent of Joe Biden. I could go on and on and on. It is the left And Biden and company, that is the threat to our democracy. And the only hope is if a Republican Party with muscle led by somebody like Donald Trump uh, gets back in power and does everything it has to do uh, to to stop what is clearly an, an attack on our constitutional republic. Uh, let's remember the monopoly party in this country, Gary, is already the Democrat Party. They control this monstrous administrative state, which uh, regulates every aspect of our lives from the amount of water that can be flushed in our toilets to the kinds of light bulbs we can use in our house, the dictates and fines and penalties um, uh, that serve the interests and the ideology of the party. They work and are operative whether the Democrat Party wins elections or whether they lose elections, because whether or not they win or lose elections, they're always the party in power. And the government of the United States in its totality now today, the end of December 2023, is a permanent appendage, a permanent accessory of the Democrat Party. They want to build upon that. They want to expand it. They want to make it even more so there's no limiting people, no limiting principle, rather, to these people. Their already overwhelming power isn't nearly enough for them. They want to pack the Senate. They want to pack the Supreme Court. They want to get rid of the Electoral College. They want to federalize national elections. That was the very first act of the Democrat Congress that took power uh, on January 1, 2021, uh, in three weeks in anticipation of the Biden agenda. The very first act was H.R. 1, which was to nationalize uh, uh, federal elections. They want open borders. They want citizenship rights, voting rights for illegals. They've now effectively weaponized the Justice Department, law enforcement in this country, um, to, to, to crush all dissent. They own, um, they own all the universities. That's totally I mean, right. Lock, stock, and barrel. From the presidents to the faculties and increasingly large portions of the student body who have never heard anything other than a leftist narrative. That's absolutely right. I, and they are unapologetic in sabotaging elections, right? They accuse anyone who calls them um, of or accuses them of rigging elections or manipulating elections of being election deniers when they want to make permanent what they did in 2020. No voter ID, no signature verification on ballots, universal mail-in ballots. It just go down the list, unsuper for these drop boxes, uh, illegal alien voting now in, in local elections. Many big cities have, have uh, already adopted provisions allowing illegals to vote in municipal elections. They want to pre Register voters as young as 16 
automatic voter registration, everybody automatically registered, vote harvesting, early, early voting, and my favorite, late voting. <laughs> yeah, uh, Michigan just, you know, the Michigan got control of the state legislature. It has a, a Democrat governor and uh, they just passed a law uh, that if you are a felon on the day you get out of prison, you're automatically registered to vote. You don't even have to do anything. Uh, so a ballot will be sent to you because really what a country built, built on uh, you know, vir- only a virtuous people can remain free is we definitely want to increase the number of former convicted felons as a percentage of the American electorate. Uh, all of this stuff shows, Tom, that they are all in on cheating. And, and yet everybody, including the commentaries at Fox, say uh, Trump, who has alleged voter irregularities with no proof. No proof. It's it's like we forgot all the history of American politics in the entire 20th century. We all grew up, if you're in like my age range, reading about the Democrat machines in places like Chicago and Philadelphia, you name a big city, all the way back in the 50s and 60s. Everybody knew these places were riddled with election fraud. What, did I miss the big reform movement that stopped that? No, because there wasn't one. If, if there's any advantage to all these Democratic proposals, it will make a voter fraud a thing of the past because now there won't be any such thing as voter fraud because all the fraud they will have legalized. <laughs> so there won't well, be. There, there you go. Yeah, I mean, the, the, look, the simplest thing they would do, Seriously, Tom, they could simply say, look, there's some things we disagree with on same day voting, uh, things like that. But we we recognize and we blame Donald Trump and the Republicans for this. But we recognize that a large percentage of the population no longer trusts elections. And that's very bad for all of us. So we're announcing as a matter of party philosophy we are willing to find uh, common ground with the Republicans and we are going to join them and ask our state parties in every state to join them in establishing a standard of voter ID on Election Day. That is a very minor thing. Virtually no one in modern American society does not have a valid ID And this would be a simple way to help restore confidence on Americans, for Americans. No, they're doubling down. Of course. They're doubling down. Of course. And and why shouldn't they? Everything they've done to date seems to work, right? If you've got no voter ID, no signature verification, everybody gets a ballot, universal drop boxes, unsupervised, illegal aliens voting, then there really is no such thing as fraud because they've legalized all the fraudulent efforts that the Democrats have managed to manipulate over the course of the last, well, you said century. I'd go back to Andrew Jackson and uh, John Quincy Adams in 1824. I mean, we've had contested elections before. We've had very, very uh, controversial elections in this country. We've had stolen elections in 1876. Some would argue in 1960. Um, uh, you know, the reason the, the margin was so slim in 1960, as Joe Kennedy famously said, was because I wasn't going to pay for a landslide. Um, uh, I, I mean, this is not, you know, the notion that um, 
we're not allowed to protest any action of the ruling party. And that's what it is, the ruling party. We're election deniers. We're threats to democracy. Um, it, it is the classic case of projection. Go back to your, your uh, um, intro to psychology course in college. Projection, when you accuse others of, of, uh, of committing the same uh, behaviors that, that you yourself are committing, you know, we haven't even talked about the media. Then there's the media, this just unbelievably widespread, massive uh, campaign to discredit Trump, to hurt Trump. Some say it was coordinated. I don't know that it was coordinated. It didn't need to be coordinated because they all agree with each other. Yeah. The, the, uh, remember, there was this little mini scandal a few years ago where somebody found out that there was a private chat room where all kinds of big shots in the media were getting together once a week or whatever to basically work out their strategy to bring mm-hmm. down the Trump administration. Right. We didn't Molly Ball write about that in Time magazine? And then I she was so. right. Yeah, eventually it was uncovered. Right. Yeah. And then she denied ever, you know, this wasn't anti, it wasn't anti-Biden at all. It was just it, this, this coordinated campaign to destroy the Trump presidency was in fact um, a noble heroic effort to save democracy. Right. Yeah. Well, Tom, all of which is to to raise what I think a lot of people are worried about, which is if if the left is this committed uh, to to violating every norm that has been observed in this country about the peaceful transfer of power, their 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 commitment to shutting off debate, not winning a debate, shutting off debate, demonizing anybody that dares to. Uh, argue with them or to suggest that uh, or who calls out their abuse of power. Everything they're doing shows that for whatever reason, Trump is beating Biden by greater and greater margins. And uh, Biden's approval rating in one major poll over the weekend dropped to 33 percent. A, a level that that uh, our friend Bill Crystal predicted would be the approval rating for Trump if he was nominated in 2016. Uh, Bill said that Trump would be the first major party candidate that would have less than 40 percent approval rating. Well, no, that ends up it's it's uh, Joe Biden that has that. Whoops. Um, we'll see so how long what, that what lasts. I'm I'm doing? no, I'm skeptical because once the race narrows. Uh, you're going to see a circling of the wagons, the likes of which this country's never seen. You're going to be an. You're going to see an all-out, unprecedented assault, unlike even 2016, to prevent this guy from ever winning the White House again. And the irony is, we lived through four years of a Trump presidency. Hillary wasn't arrested. She wasn't locked up. Trump said after the election, "I know there was a lot of campaign rhetoric about lock her up, lock her up. I don't think that's good for the country." Were Democrats talking like that about Donald Trump? It's as though he didn't serve as president for four years. It's as though the no inflation, um, no aggression on the part of our uh, adversaries or enemies, uh, none of this happened. That the explosion of uh, employment in the country for African-Americans, for women, unprecedented in the history of the country, it never happened. No inflation never happened. Uh, $2 gas never happened. And that's what they're going to try to do. They're going to try to eviscerate all of our memories. But Tom, won't they? I see. Won't they do that? Whether Trump gets the nomination or not, 
because if he doesn't get the nomination, let, let's just say hypothetically that um, if it's if it's DeSantis, it's easy, right? DeSantis oh, is just a little Trump, just a younger <laughs> version. It's a more if dangerous. He's more yeah, more Hitlerian, right? If it's um, if it's Haley, Nikki Haley, uh, they immediately they will say to her. Uh, will you pledge right now that no one who served in the dictator wannabe Trump administration will have any position in a Nikki Haley administration? Will you say yes or no right now? And she you will. Know? Well, then she she's will. done. Because well, she's done it. Any non-Trump Republican is done because it'll turn off the Trump base and. The campaign is the Republican campaign is over. Donald Trump's going to be the nominee and we've got to support him for the same reason. Actually, we have more reason to support him today than we did in 2016 because we know he was a successful president. This is an election, will be an election, unlike any other we have seen since Grover Cleveland, where it is one incumbent president versus another incumbent president. We can actually measure accomplishments on an apples-to-apples basis. Donald Trump was president for four years. Joe Biden will have been president for four years. How's that going for you, the Biden years? Prices are up almost 25%. In the White House and the media, well, inflation is down to three point, but it's cumulative. 3.1, it's cumulative. People, Prices, you know, right. Most people can't explain that. You know, like hamburger, name it, whatever it is. So it goes from $1 to $2. Oh, people, oh my gosh. Then it goes from $2 to $2.02, and the White House says, the inflation's over. <laughs> no, it isn't. I'm still paying $2. 700 the, What's the number? This is even from our Commerce Department. The average American family pays $700 more per month for the same amount of goods and services they paid in 2020. Did uh, I don't know if we talked about this, but the movie Home Alone, which tends to be played around Christmas time, there's a scene where the kid goes to the grocery store with oh, yeah. the money he has, and he does some shopping, right? And it, and it all gets uh, rung up, and, and it's like, you know, $19.75. And he goes, wow, and he pays it. And people are going, what? I can't <laughs> Fifty-eight dollars now, you know. <laughs> the scene there's a, a scene earlier in the movie where they order what ten pizza pies or something, and uh, for ten large pies to feed, you know, God knows how many people were in this movie scene. It was like sixty-two dollars <laughs> today. It'd be <laughs> so. Isn't there a Woody Allen movie called Sleeper? He's in a uh, a coma for decades and decades. And he gets out of the. The coma and he, uh, wow, I can't believe it, walks outside. So many things have changed. But, you know, being a, an average guy, the first thing he wants to do is, is uh, you know, check and see, Gee, I wonder how much I've got in the bank, you know. I mean, all that interest over the years, he checks and he's he's got like, you know, when he went into the coma, he had $2,000. Now he's got $675,000. He's like, oh, my goodness. So he goes into a phone booth, and he wants to call somebody to tell them he's now a wealthy man. So he gets the uh, operator on. He dials the number, and the voice on the phone says, uh, please deposit And he realizes he's not a wealthy man at all because everything has gone massively up in price. I mean, it's it's funny, but it's not funny because that is literally what destroyed a pre-war Germany. This uh, mad 
inflation that um, uh, uh, people would burn currency for fuel, for warmth, because, you know, it was a trillion Deutschmarks to buy a loaf of bread in 1923 and 24. Uh, not that we're headed toward that, but the notion that inflation is solved doesn't, as you pointed out, doesn't change the fact that my rent, let's say in 2000, might have been $1,500, and today it's, what, $2,000? It's not going down, that's for sure. Yeah, no, no, it isn't. But what I was getting at, Tom, is what what are they capable of doing? I mean, they're literally, it's obvious that Smith, the prosecutor, desperately wants oh, a yeah. guilty verdict for Trump before the election, maybe even before Super Tuesday, because he thinks he's the one guy that can save the Democrats from having. Is that going to stick an all Democrat jury convicting Donald Trump of 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 Byzantine process crimes? Is that going to. Well, won't they won't they come and try to arrest him? What's going to happen? What will happen if they come and try to arrest him? I mean, what are we talking about here? There's a movie coming out. It might be out in the next week or so that imagines a civil war. And guess who the bad guys are marching on Washington? Right, of course, us. It's some yeah. version of MAGA, right? right. Um, th- this is um, – ah, man. Th- have you heard about this movie called uh, – it's based on a book. I read the book, and we watched the movie, uh, Leave the World Behind. No. Uh, not on the, that's not the one on the new one about Job. About who? The book of Job? No, no, it's um uh it it's a a book about uh it was produced for Netflix by the Obamas. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And and there's, there's I I just I just got racism. I there. I just got dinged by the way that our recording is about to cease. So we got to wrap okay. it up. I think we should stop. <laughs> so was that did that ding come from the Justice Department? No, or from, I think uh, that ding came from somewhere inside the global okay. world headquarters of American okay. values. Sounds so, well, have a if we don't speak, and I don't think we will, um, nothing but heartfelt uh, uh, wishes for a blessed, a peaceful, lovely, meaningful Christmas with you and your family. Uh, rejoicing in the and, in the powerful spirit of the day, and I hope you had a similar Hanukkah. Oh, it was very nice. It was very nice. Great. It was very nice. And now we got to go, or we're going to get killed. There you go. Okay, <laughs> great to be with you as always, Tom. And and Mary, Merry, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. out there, and God save the United States of America. Amen and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas.